Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day and we open our hearts to you and to your word. Give us understanding and may the reason and purpose for which you are bringing for this message be met according to your will in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's something about uh, our Christian life, our redemption. You know, there are some things that give you an idea as to why God is the only person that can be God. <laughs> All right? You know, you see, only God can be God. You can I can never be God. We are children of God, yes? But I tell you something, if you and I were God, if you were, if, if you were given the opportunity to be God for one day, I'm sure you would get three quarters of the whole world killed. And only some particular people left alive. You know? I'm left to you and I, there are certain people that should not be living. <laughs> so that is why only God can be God. <laughs> and so we look at certain things and we say, no, no, this one, me as a human being, I can't let that happen. But God will let that happen for a while at least. You know? So God is such a merciful God. <laughs> now, there is the legal side of God. There's the just side of God. There's the loving side of God. There's the judgment side of God. Now, you, want, uh, you and I would be asking a question, why is it that when Satan sinned in heaven, why didn't God just kill him off? Yeah, because you and I would have done that, right? Yeah, in these days, I mean, dictators do that. When you do something, dictators get you and they kill you or they incarcerate you permanently or for life until you die in prison, you know? So why in the world, why did God allow Satan to live on with his demons that uh, joined him in the revolt in heaven? Why? Oh, that is only known, that is what, one of the things that makes God God. All right? Then we come in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. Why didn't God just decide to say, well, Satan, whatever you have done, I'm going to take back my man, whether he likes it or not. Why did God have to pay a price to get his man back? All right? That is why I'm not talking about redemption, but when I begin to talk about redemption, you will understand this thing more. Why is our salvation referred to as redemption? Because with the word re, we have the impression of something that has been or happened before. With the use of the word reconciliation, why is our salvation referred to as reconciliation? That gives us and leaves us with an idea of a pre-existing relationship. All right? So God, being a just God, he had to do things the legal way. Because Satan did not force Adam and Eve to sin. God gave Adam and Eve willpower, the power of choice but not the power of the choice of consequences. You know, I always say this over the years. You can decide on whatever you want to do, but you cannot decide on the consequences. So you can go up on this uh, building, and you take the decision to jump down. You are free to do that. But you see, you cannot choose not to be hurt. Did you see that? The decision to jump is yours. But the decision to not be hurt is not yours. 
So you cannot choose that, okay, I'm choosing to jump down, but I'm choosing not to be hurt. So Adam and Eve sinned willfully. All Satan did was to present to them a scenario, something that looked good. And he left them with the choice. Eve used her own hand to willingly take that fruit. And she used her hand to give it to Adam. And Adam used his mouth to eat the fruit. And Satan, all he did was he stood by. But there was an implication with what they did. And because Satan did not force Adam and Eve, God, being a just God, would not just go about taking his man back without paying a price. That shows you how just God is. So there's the legal side to our salvation. Hallelujah. So God right there had to make a plan to pay a price to get his man back. And this he accomplished through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So we want to look at the word justification and then by faith. Now we can go to the screen. I first of all want us to look at the meaning of the word justify in the Hebrew. Where is that noise coming from? Justify in the Hebrew. It means uh, in Hebrew, the word I is sadak or sadak, whatever it is called. You know, I come from Nigeria originally and from the middle part of Nigeria, even though sometimes they refer to us as being in the north, but we are not actually northerners. We are in the middle part of Nigeria. So we are more or less um, neighbors to Muslims, you know, uh, most of those people in northern Nigeria. Um, now, in the Hausa language, and even in the Arabic, in, the, the, you know, in Islam, there's something they call sadaka. Even in the church, in the churches, you know, they talk about sadaka because it's kind of a translation. You know, probably that is where they got the idea from. Doing good works. It has to do with good works. Uh, giving sadaka. You know, sadaka has to do with giving. You know, so, and the, the Muslims believe so much in good works. You know, so they talk about sadaka. So, but anyhow, whether they got that a little bit from the Hebrew or not, that's not what I'm talking about. So the, in Hebrew, the word justify means sadak, and it means to make right or righteous. I want you to understand here, it, is, it does not mean to become right or righteous. Did you see that? There's a difference between being made righteous and then becoming righteous. You can never become righteous. You can only be made righteous. When we talk of you becoming, then it is through your own effort. But we, when we talk of you being made, so it is somebody else's action. You cannot become righteous after working so hard and trying so hard. Then you become righteous. That is not good enough in the sight of God. That is why when you know, we begin to talk about good works, you can never really quantify good works you know, to be enough to save you. Because you do not have the criteria to determine how much good works you need to be saved. All right? That's how, how much good works do you think is enough for you to be saved? You don't have the criteria to know and to determine. 
good works. You, you know, people do that and they do all those kind of things and trying to be righteous and trying to be that and so on and so forth. I'm not talking about you now living out a Christian life, a holy life. That's different. We're talking about positionally God making you through faith in Christ Jesus, making you righteous. So justification has to do with being made. It's not about something you earn. Now, in the New Testament, the Old Testament, of course, was written in Hebrew and then translated into English and other languages. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek. So let's, what does justify in the New Testament Greek? It means dikaio. I don't know how, how you pronounce that. So it means to render. So that's a verb, a very strong verb. To render or show or regard as just, innocent, free, or righteous. To render, to make something. We know the, the meaning of render means to also make something. It's just similar to the word make. And then look at the dictionary. Strange enough, I don't know whether in today's uh, world they are still giving some very good translations, uh, I mean, sorry, definitions rather, to some words like they have been in the past in some of the dictionary definitions of some words. Very, very good. Can you imagine this from the dictionary? <laughs> the word justify in the dictionary means show or prove to be right. And they even put it there. This is not, you check out the dictionary, you see. It, this a theology in theology says declare or make righteous in the sight of God. I love that. So it doesn't mean become. Justification is not becoming righteous. Justification is being made righteous, being made right in the sight of God. Somebody has got the ability and the capability to make you right with God, and that person is Jesus. Hallelujah. So when we talk about justification, we are talking about being made right with God. So how do we get into that? So we're going to look at some scriptures very quickly. And, uh, you know, let's see some lamentations, basically, because in the Old Testament, Job lamented in Job chapter 25, verse 4. Now, these were people under the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, Job, he lamented, he said, How then can man be righteous before God? How can he be pure who is born of a woman? <laughs> Thank God, born of a woman. All right? Verse 20, uh, uh, in the New Living Translation, Job 25, verse 4. How can a mortal be innocent before God? Can anyone born of a woman be pure? So this was Job's cry and lamentation and kind of a, an expression of hopelessness, if you will. And then, what about David? Look at David, what David said in Psalm 143, verse 2. David said, and Enter not into judgment with thy servant. That's the, the old King James Version. Enter not into judgment with thy servant. For in thy sight shall no man living be justified. What it means is that he was saying, God, don't bring me into judgment with you. Know, with you because I cannot stand it. Nobody can stand before you in judgment. I, I, I can't defend myself. It's like going before a judge helpless. You don't have a lawyer. And you stand before a judge. He said, don't bring me into judgment with you. I, I can't stand. I, I don't have 
the ability to stand you. I cannot stand you. In the New King James Version of that same verse, Psalm 143, verse 2 says, Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. Okay? Lamentation. Now, this, the New Living Translation, it says, Don't put your servant on trial, for no one is innocent before you. All right? This was... These were some of the lamentations of the Old Testament saints. But we'll see later on what uh, David said uh, about the person that is justified by faith. Now, in Acts chapter 13, verse 39, the Bible says, And by him, everybody say by him. By him. Who is this him? Jesus. By him. By him. Everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Everyone, man, woman, boy, girl, black, white, Asian, African, English, British, Chinese, Japanese, Filipino, whatever it is. Every person, poor or rich, thank God. That salvation cannot be bought with money. Amen. It is available for the poor. Amen. It is available for the rich. Amen. It is available for the short. Amen. It's available for the tall. Amen. Available for the black. Amen. Available for the white. Amen. Available for the Asian. Amen. Available even for those in the, in the Middle East. Amen. Do you know there are churches in Afghanistan? There are churches in Iraq. There are churches in Iran. Muslims are giving their lives to Christ, and they are being justified. Hallelujah. Sinners are giving their lives to Christ. Prostitutes are giving their lives to Christ. Murderers are giving their lives to Christ. Our mother, oh my God, my God, my God, my God. You know, I was so touched when I went to U.S. Um, in 20, just what, two, three years ago. You know, I, I did share the testimony here with you, uh, you know. And uh, there were testimonies for, at the meeting from around the world at the Ken Hagen Ministries in, in Tulsa. And uh, they talked about uh, Brazil. You know, and in the Brazil prison, Brazil prison, the many people got born again in prison to the extent that they had a Bible school in the prison and they graduated in the prison. Ex-convicts, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, but in prison, in the physical prison, where they were incarcerated, the gospel reached them. And they gave their hearts to the gospel. Their sins were forgiven. And they were justified in the sight of God. Even though in the sight of man, they are still regarded as criminals. But thank God, hallelujah, it is possible to be wrong in the sight of men and be right in the sight of God. Men might have put you in prison because of what he did, but because you believe in Jesus, in the sight of God, you are righteous. I, we were so moved with tears. They showed videos of, grad, oh my God, my God, my God. Prisoners graduating Bible school in, in the prisons. They may not be released necessarily. Some of them, by the time they finish serving their terms, they go out as evangelists, as preachers. 
Some of those that are serving life, they, they end up what? preaching in the prison. <laughs> and some of them, because of the transformation, may be um, you know, uh, uh, given some peril. You know? Maybe their situation is looked at and they may be released early. So God is moving. God is touching lives. Hallelujah. God is still justifying people. Every sinner that comes to him. No sin. No sin is beyond the capacity of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. In the New Living Translation, Acts 13, 39. Everyone, my goodness, my goodness. Aren't you glad that that includes you? Everyone who believes. Remember, we are talking about justification by faith. It is not just justification like that on its own. It has to be by faith. It is through faith. You have access to this justification through faith. As a matter of fact, all that Jesus Christ died and made provision for on the cross of Calvary is available to every person, the seven billion people on the earth. I said here the other day, that if all the people in the world, all the seven billion people or thereabouts in the world today were to come to Christ, there is enough power in the blood of Jesus to cleanse everybody. So when Jesus died on the cross, he made provision for every human being to be justified in the sight of God. But you have to believe in what he has done. Amen? Let me give you an illustration here. Let's say I'm owing Pastor Lawrence 10,000 pounds and I cannot pay. You know, I'm indebted to him. I can't pay 10,000 pounds. Where am I going to get 10,000 pounds from? Or maybe even make it a million pounds, which makes it even more impossible because I've never let her, you know, hold, take a note, I mean, you know. When I used to work in the bank in Nigeria, yes, we handled some millions of naira, but not pounds. So, <laughs> so I'm owing him a million pounds. Where am I going to get that money from? I cannot pay him back. And then Pastor John goes and pays. He goes behind me and goes to pay the one million pounds to Pastor Lawrence. Then he sends Sister Rosemary to come and tell me, the good news. But Sister Rose comes to me and says to me, Pastor, you know what? That one million pounds you are owing, Pastor Lawrence, has been paid for by Pastor John. And I say, ah, no, I, I don't believe that. <laughs> no, you are joking. Especially you, uh, Rose, you from Jamaica. I know. If you are from Africa, maybe I will uh, uh, listen. You know, maybe if it was a white man, uh, maybe I will listen. Maybe it was a man. Maybe I will listen. But you are a woman, and you are not even from Africa like myself. You are, you are not white. You are not this, you know. And no, uh, no, 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 no. You know what? I will continue to suffer being indebted to him, whatever the consequences of that debt are, until I believe her story. All right? until I believe her story. Then, whilst I believe my story, I have to believe in whatever Pastor John has done on my behalf. 
I accept it. I have not even seen Pastor John yet. Right? But somebody told me that he's paid. So I believe that. Hallelujah. That is what preachers are doing, are supposed to be doing at least. Telling people the good news. That we owed God the debt of sin we couldn't pay. Jesus went to the cross and paid for it. So the good news is that now all you have to do is believe that somebody has paid the price. Once you believe, your sins are washed. Once you believe, everything is washed away. That is what good news is about. Not about money. Thank God for money. Not about miracles. Thank God for miracles. You can get healed and not be saved. It is possible to have money and not be saved. It's possible to be healed even by God himself and still not be saved. Unbelievers can get healed by the power of God. Some of them get healed and don't get saved. So, but we're talking about eternal life here. Hallelujah. Thank God for Jesus. Everyone believes. So, it is by faith accepting that someone has paid the price. And once I have accepted that Pastor John has paid the price for me and I am a free person, then Sister Gloria, who knew that I owed Pastor Lawrence, comes to me and she's saying, uh, uh, you that you owe Pastor Lawrence. You see, what am I going to do? I will say, no, I have paid. You don't talk like that to me. I'm, not, I'm no longer in debt. Yeah, she knew I was in debt, but now it's been paid, and I believe it's been paid. I didn't pay it myself, and I didn't have to have paid it myself. It's paid. So she cannot come accusing me of being a debtor. But the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So I'm not saying Gloria is a devil. Yeah, good girl, Gloria. Amen. That is what Satan does. Jesus has paid the price and Satan comes and says, no, 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 your own is too much. That you have seen, remember, 42 years ago? 20 years ago, 30 years ago? No, that's it. No, no, doesn't, God doesn't, don't forget that kind of sin. But he does, he forgives and he forgets. So the devil, Satan, is the accuser of the brethren. But it is God. The Bible says, who is it that accuses? It's God that justifies. It is God that has justified you. My sins have been paid for by Christ Jesus. No devil has got the right to accuse me. The precious blood of Jesus was shed on the cross of Calvary for the remission of all sins. All we have to believe. We are children of God today because what? We believe the gospel. If you are a child of God today because you believe the gospel, somebody talked to you about Jesus. You believed and that's why you are saved. And we are candidates of heaven. Hallelujah. By faith. By accepting, believing what Jesus has done. But sometimes we do, like uh, I was talking about Sister Rose. Some people don't believe. Because why? They didn't see Jesus personally dying on the cross. Even though it is written. They say, no, that couldn't be. Some people say, well, Jesus Christ didn't die. All those kind of things, nonsense. It's just like creation. You believe God created the world. Why are you there? But we believe. Because why? By faith. Hallelujah. The word of God says so. 
Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Now, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 in the New Living Translation. We'll read quite some things and then we will we'll read a couple of verses in verse 19 of Romans chapter 3. And then we will skip and go to Galatians and then we'll come back to Romans chapter 3 later on. Romans 3 verse 19, the New Living Translation. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. <laughs> My goodness. So the law was not given to make a person righteous. The law was given to show man his weakness. Because every person struggled with the law. Even those who claimed to have kept the law upon careful examination, they were found to have defaulted in another area. You notice? Just when you think you've kept nine commandments or something, or even well, there are more of them anyway, then you find out that you, this one that you thought you had kept, uh, you know, somebody came to Jesus, right? Said, what must I do to be saved? He said, well, you know, you know the commandments. Jesus just was testing him. And he said, well, I've kept all those. Oh, have you? Okay. He still locked one thing. The man said he had kept all. In fact, he said from his youth. So he thought he was just right on, spot on with God. He thought he had earned. He thought he had done enough good works. But Jesus said the one thing. Go and sell everything you got. Give to the poor, take up your cross, and follow me. And the man said, uh, right there, Jesus Christ defaulted him. So the law spells out our weakness. You know why? That is the only way we can look to God as a Savior. Can I tell you something? Nobody ever gets saved without accepting that they have sinned. There is no one. As long as you think you have not sinned, there's no way you're going to be saved. Salvation begins with accepting and admitting that you have sinned and you are in need of a savior. All right. People who, you know, uh, claim to be righteous and they are good enough, they don't get saved. So God had to use the law to bring every human being under general condemnation where they have to look to one savior. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, if you know something about uh, uh, some of these coastal guards, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, those who rescue people drowning. You know, sometimes it's very difficult to rescue somebody if they are really very conscious. They are drowning and they're very conscious. They can grab you. If you're not careful, they'll pull you down. So sometimes what they do is to hit the person unconscious. Then it's easier to drag that person to safety. 
as long as that person, you know, they, he, 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 I don't know how, if you've ever seen somebody, you know, who is desperately and is about, they, they can be very strong. When they grab you like this, they won't let you go. And if you are not very strong and you don't know how to swim very well, two of you go. So sometimes what they do is to incapacitate the person in one way or the other. Then they, they drag the person and then go and, you know, resuscitate the person, you know, and so on and so forth. You see, a, a man who thinks that everything he's doing is right, it's difficult to get that person saved. You know, that's why Jesus Christ made a statement. He said that, you know, prostitutes will go into the kingdom ahead of the Pharisees who claimed that they were righteous. Yeah. A prostitute will come, oh, I'm sorry, I know I've sinned, God have mercy. And God will forgive that person. A Pharisee will come near me, I keep the law. And I even wash hands before doing everything. I wear long clothes, I wear this and that and so on and so on. Capitalizing on the works of the flesh, thinking they have earned a position with God. You cannot earn a position in the sight of God. You can't. You can't. You can't. So, Galatians chapter 2. Thank you, Jesus. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. The New Living Translation says, Yet we know that a person is made right. I like that word, made right. Not become right. He made right. A person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Now, does that mean that you just toss the laws and all the commandments of God out the window? No. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. And it is not by works, lest any man should boast. So, but then, the same Bible also says that uh, we have been brought out of darkness into his marvelous light to show forth his praise and also for good cause. We've been delivered to do good works. We have been saved so that we can do good works. We don't do good works so that we are saved. You see that? We do good works because we are saved. We don't do good works so that we can be saved. So all religions that teach about don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that, they are trying to earn. And like I said, nobody has a criteria for determining how much good is good enough. <laughs> yeah, just how much good is good enough. So we come to Christ as we are. Hallelujah. No matter how sinful you have been. The worst of sinners, murderers have come to Christ. And he's forgiven them. Then after that we have received Christ, God says now we can do good works because 
we are children of God, and God is good. Amen? Now, in Romans chapter 4, let's talk about Abraham. We'll still come back to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 4. Abraham was, humanly speaking, this is a New Living Translation, Romans chapter 4. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? Verse 2, if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. Verse 3, for the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Amen? He believed God, not good works. As a matter of fact, if you look at how God called Abraham, I mean, he didn't qualify. There was no any qualification to that. He didn't earn it. He called him, he was an idol worshiper, basically. Living among sinful people. God called him. And God spoke some things to him, and he believed. And that faith brought him into right standing with God. That means God can call you from any background. As long as you believe what God says, you become right in the sight of God. Hallelujah. You know, we have to thank God. Because the Bible says in the New Testament that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, we can only imagine the dread and the terror that will befall those who will stand before God in judgment without Christ. Now, when we think about that, then we will appreciate better what Jesus has done for us. While others will be shaking before God to pronounce judgment and complete you know, banishing into hellfire forever. We stand before God, justified, forgiven, righteous, saved, delivered, glorified through Christ Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. All because of Jesus Christ. Say Abraham believed God. Verse 4. When people work, their wages are not a gift. <laughs> but something they have earned. Now, most of you here work, right? Uh, what's today? 23rd, right? Some of you are counting days now. I don't know which day of the month they pay you. Let's say they pay you on the 28th, like my daughter Vicky. You know, well, these days, anyway, they send money directly to your accounts, you know. In those days, you go to stand to collect your pay. <laughs> All right. Now... <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> All right? <laughs> now, when, when after you have finished working and your money is due on the 28th of the month, let's say the money is not sent to your account and you go to the finance department and you tell the accountant there, I have come to, I've, I'm wondering why my gift is not paid into my account. <laughs> All right? Can you imagine that? In fact, the accountant will look at you and say, do you know what you're talking about? What gift? The company is not giving out any gifts. No bonuses. Are you talking about bonuses? So which gift? 
but it's your salary. It is what you have worked for. Amen? So you cannot walk and stand in the sight of God and you want to collect salvation, you want to collect justification, you want to collect holiness, you want to collect righteousness because you have done good works. No, you will leave that place empty-handed. So your salary, what you work for becomes a wage. But salvation is not a wage. Salvation is a gift. All right? But what is a gift? A gift has to be received for it to be of any use to you. You know, if let's say God bless me with a lot of money, I say, oh, Pastor Ngozi, a wonderful woman, and I buy a brand new Jeep, and I say, well, it's a gift. It's sitting out there, and uh, that's the key. You know, number one, she has to collect the key. But if she collects the key and never goes out there to drive the car, the car is sitting there. You know, Jesus Christ was rebuking some of those uh, lawyers and scribes, not our own lawyers here, but uh, Lottenbosun and uh, Ruth. He was telling them, of, he said, you have taken away the keys of the kingdom. So you don't enter in, and those that want to enter, you hinder them. Those guys were more or less privy to the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. They knew those prophecies. They refused to believe the prophecies, and they refused to teach other people to believe those prophecies. So they were hindering other people from believing. They themselves did not believe the prophecies concerning the Messiah, but they were not allowing people that they were teaching to have access to that knowledge. But thank God we know the truth, and the truth says as well. Verse 5, Romans chapter 4. Say, but people are counted as righteous. Remember that's our word counted again. Not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. Yes. I want, let's look at what David said here. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. I want you to be taking note of those words to make, to declare. So there's this bunch of people that have been declared righteous. We are not saying that you were not guilty. We were guilty. But because somebody has paid the price, we are declared not guilty. Amen? <laughs> so, David was talking, and David saw in the spirit, as it were. He could envisage, because of the prophecies of God's word, he could look forward to the New Testament. Because in his generation, they were not able to partake of this righteousness by faith. Just the same way we are. They could, like Abraham, believe. But not exactly the same way because Christ hadn't come that time. So they had to believe whatever the Lord said to them. But he knew that there was more to it. So he looked to the New Testament time. And he said, here in verse 6 again, he described the happiness or the joy of those who are declared righteous without working for it. He said, verse 7, oh, what joy 
for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Can you imagine? You know, sometimes in some countries, I'm not too sure if it happens in this country. Well, maybe it does. But it happens in some countries. At least I know it happens in uh, Nigeria sometimes. I think it happens in America, you know. Um, where you know, they, pre they talk about what presidential pardon, right? Yeah? Am I correct? Presidential pardon. You know, the president can decide, say, well, okay, he's, uh, these guys, uh, maybe they are in detention or they are in prison, and the president gives them a presidential pardon. You can imagine the joy of people like that. The president comes, ah, they come to you in your cell. Maybe you were sentenced for seven years or 10 years or 20 years. And then the wardens come to your cell. Hey, wait, hey. Uh, your name is down from the president that uh, you have been given presidential pardon. So get ready, you are going home. Wow. Can you imagine the joy on the faces of people like that? But what we have in Christ Jesus is more than that. We're talking about being set free from the prison of the, the devil, from being candidates of hell. What joy. What joy. Now, let's read on because uh, we want to get somewhere. Um, okay, because of time. Okay, verse 9, quickly. <clears throat> now, is, is this blessing only for the Jews, or is it... Uh, also for uncircumcised Gentiles. Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith, but how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Hmm. Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Let's take a pause here. You know, I did say here last uh, Sunday when I was talking about communion. I said there are some of these things that... Uh, uh, in some practices in the Christian, uh, in Christendom, put it that way, that really uh, we kind of more or less put the cart before the horse. Baptism is one of them. We have people getting baptized just haphazardly everywhere. People just getting baptized. But the sequence is there in the word of God. You have to believe first before you are baptized. And then we have people taking communion. But according to the scriptures, Jesus did not take communion with unbelievers. He took communion with believers. Communion means partnership. That by, taking, by taking communion, you are, you are demonstrating that you are one with Christ. You are in partnership with Christ. You belong to Christ. You believe in Christ. That's, that's the, what taking communion is about. Now, another thing here is circumcision. After God met with Abraham and Abraham believed him, he said, well, as a sign of your faith, you go and circumcise. And the Bible says that even Abraham, all his household, even servants in his house, all, even adults, they were all circumcised. Now, now, later on, the Jews now took this one and began to just circumcise themselves and without necessarily believing. You see that? You know? <laughs> without necessarily believing. They just believed so much in the circumcision. It came right onto the book of Acts. You know, some of them really, you know, they held on to that so strongly. Even after the coming of Christ, even after the coming of the Holy Spirit, the apostles had to deal with those things. Because some people were still saying, that, yes, you believe in Christ, but unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. But that is not it. Not in the New Testament. 
Not in the New Testament. In the New Testament, you believe in Jesus Christ and you begin to demonstrate good works. Not just physical circumcision. It's circumcision of the heart. Hallelujah. Now look at verse 11. Circumcision was a sign. Do you see that? Water baptism is a sign that somebody has believed. Are demonstrating to the world that you identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus. So when you are put inside the water, you are, you are identifying with the death and burial of Jesus. And when you are brought out, you are identifying with his resurrection. It is not to be undertaken by unbelievers. So, here circumcision was a sign. God didn't tell Abraham, you circumcise yourself, then I will accept you. He didn't say that. He first of all spoke to him, and when Abraham believed, and God said, okay, now you are right before me, then, okay, go and circumcise yourself as a sign. It's a sign of a covenant, the covenant that I have with you. But thank God, through Christ Jesus, Jesus has done all that for us. We don't need to, thank God with circumcision. Is a, today, is a, there are people that are born again saved. They are not necessarily men. They are not necessarily circumcised, and they are saved. You know, circumcision today is a matter of either culture or preference. You know? So it's not, you know, if you are not circumcised as a man, that doesn't mean you are going to hell. If you believe, to, if you believe in Jesus, you are going to heaven. Amen? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, he said that Abraham already had faith. Okay? So circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be right. There is that word declared again. My goodness. My, 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 my. You see, you know, Pastor Lydia was uh, preaching last Sunday. God bless you, Pastor Lydia. You know, I did reiterate what she said here. You know, that if God says that this one, that you are dead, that means you are dead. Whatever God says is. Amen? Whatever God says is. Jesus Christ said to this way, nobody eats food from you again. That's it. It doesn't matter whether it happened immediately or not. What God said, that was it. It's a matter of time before it came to pass. Now, so in the same way, God says, because you believe in me, you are righteous. That's what God says. That's why it, it, it says here, this word declare. You believe in Jesus, you are righteous. That's the declaration. You believe me, Abraham, you are righteous. You believe me, you are justified. You believe me, you, Jesus is saying, you believe what I have done for you on the cross. When I died on the cross, I died for you. You believe that, you accept that, you are saved. Amen. Amen. If God declares you right, no devil. You see, the devil is the accuser. He tries to remind you. God, by the way, knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows everything. So God knows all your sins. He knew all that before he declared you righteous. Because he, everything was put on Christ Jesus. Everything. Pastor John paid my one million pounds. So I am declared debt free. 
Amen. Gloria can't come and say, well, I'm owing. No. Praise God. You know what the Bible says? There, are, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Oh, my God. No condemnation. All the devil is doing is just trying. Can I say this? You know, sometimes they say, okay, okay, fine, okay. Uh, God forgave you, but that was, uh, those were those sins of the past. What of the one for yesterday? That one, Jesus took care of that also. Amen? But we have a responsibility, all right, to, as Christians. First John chapter 1, we're not reading that. Say, so if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't want, again, to till too much to this side. We have to stay in the middle. All right? When we gave our lives to Christ, all our sins were forgiven, yes. But it is, you know, the, the book of 1 John was written to believers. Does it mean that when you do something wrong, you shouldn't ask God to forgive you? As a matter of fact, oh my God, let me just deviate here a bit. Let me tell you something here. You know, <laughs> confession of sins for forgiveness is for believers. Confessing Jesus Christ is for unbelievers to get saved. You don't get saved by confessing your sins just like that. You get saved by confessing if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You what? You get saved. Because an unbeliever cannot remember everything. So it is not confession of all the sins you've ever committed. Then that is when and how you get saved. The moment you believe in what Jesus Christ has done for you, you accept him as Lord into your life. All your passes, whether you remember them or not, are forgiven and forgotten. Now, the thing is that as a Christian, when you do something wrong, your conscience pricks you. And you ought to know that you have done something wrong. You ought to know. You ought to know. And he said, you ask God to forgive you so that to maintain your close fellowship with Jesus Christ. Oh, my God, my God. I wish I had time. Let me tell you something here. There's a difference between relationship and fellowship. Okay? Let me use Pastor Lawrence here because he's here. And the young Emmanuel at the back there. So the relationship between Pastor Lawrence and Emmanuel is what? Father and son. Now, if Emmanuel misbehaves, Pastor Lawrence may be upset with him, but that does not stop him from still being Pastor Lawrence's son. As a matter of fact, Pastor Lawrence may say, look, just, just go to your room for now. I don't want to talk to you now. Okay? But then Emmanuel comes back and says, okay, Dad, I'm, I'm very sorry. He said, okay, fine, okay, let's sit down and talk. The fellowship is how you get on. But the relationship is the connection. The, the connection, the bond is already their father-son. But doing things wrong 
affects the, how you flow together. It doesn't necessarily cut the relationship. All right? Because if not, you will be getting saved every day. Yeah? I got to be two girls. And of course, I mean, they are no angels. They are very good girls, but they're not as good as angels. <laughs> so sometimes they, they do something and I will be upset with them. The thing is that they are still my daughters. And sometimes I might get angry with them and maybe just go, go away from for now. So what they did has affected the flow of fellowship and communication between us. But that link, that bond, that connection of father-daughter is still there. Amen? But let me say this. Thank God for grace. But grace does not mean that as a Christian, you live anyhow. You are still a child of God, but it will affect how you fellowship with God. In fact, there's something the Lord told me last yeah, I haven't done, come to that yet. I'm going to t- preach, teach on five hindrances to prayers. Because sometimes believers think, well, I'm now born again so I can live anyhow. That is not what the Bible teaches. Whether you like it or not, there is a way you live that will hinder your prayers. And you are a child of God. There's a way you live that even the devil can mess you up. Look at that woman that just said, this daughter of Abraham. She's bound by the devil. But she was a daughter of covenant. As a daughter of covenant, she was not working according to the covenant dictates. So the devil got her. But Jesus came and had mercy on her and set her free. But she was a child. Daughter of covenant meant that she was a daughter of, I mean, a daughter of Abraham meant that she was a child of covenant. And what the devil was doing to her was not something the devil was supposed to be doing unless he had grounds for it. In Ephesians chapter 4, if you read verse 27, it said, don't, angry, say, don't give the devil any foothold. Anger gives the devil a foothold in your life. So you're born again. But, and Paul was writing to the Ephesian Christians. He wasn't writing to unbelievers. You're a Christian, you're born again, quite okay. But certain attitudes, certain Behavior can hinder, can allow the enemy to mess up with your life, with your, with your body, with, your, with other things in your life. You are saved. There are people that the devil is afflicting, and they are saved. If they die, will they go to heaven? Yes, because of Jesus. But the devil would have succeeded in messing them up in certain areas. Because sometimes, some of the things we do give the devil a foothold. There's something, uh, I don't know what is Charles Stanley also that, that's, you know, said it all. I had a Charles Stanley or Jimmy Swaggart I, just a couple of weeks ago. You know, said if we live our lives here on earth, do what is right in the flesh and do what is right in the sight of God. He said we will be fine and live long. Because another area again is careless living. We are living in the corona, this thing, isn't it? Why is it some of these things that the government is coming up with? Okay, wash your hands. These were things that we were supposed to have been doing. 
Is that not so? Yes. We're taking vitamins. We are supposed because most of uh, the things we eat today, they, they are completely, you know, the, the vitamins that and the nutrients that used to be in foods in those days, 50, 100, 200 years ago, is not the same we're getting from food today. So sometimes we have to supplement with vitamins and other things. We are not getting what we ought to be getting from food we eat today. And God created man to exercise and do work on the farm and do some exercise. But then you sit down from car to office, from office to bed. You put on what you even like it. You look at yourself, you are so big, you say you like it. Because it is a sign of good living. No, it's not necessarily a sign of good living. You know? You know, uh, the Lord said to Ken Hagi one day, to a, a pastor, a preacher, a preacher, say, go and warn that pastor, warn him. Tell him that he's going to die unless he watches his weight. I mean, his eating habit. He was eating and eating and eating. He was as big and rolling all over the place like this and preaching, you know, and preaching with the microphone. You know, uh, really. You know, have you seen somebody so big that he has, they have to stand like this in order to balance? Because if they stand like this, they will be tilting. They have to spread their. And of course, he went and spoke to the man. The man didn't listen, and within a short time, the man died. A man of God. So Christianity does not mean callous living. Amen? Let's try to live right in the sight of God. And do what we need to do from the physical point of view. We are custodians of our physical lives to a great extent. And even our Christian lives. Hallelujah. I think, you know, from the, we're going to stop here because of time. Um, I think I will just listen to my spirit and see whether I, because there's some important things I haven't said. I will see whether the Lord will have me to conclude next week. But I don't want to make a series of it. But I want you to know that we are justified by faith through Christ Jesus. It is God that has declared you believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, say amen. amen. And your faith in Jesus means God has declared you right in his sight. Now, you may not necessarily be right in the sight of man, but you, are, you should be concerned that you are right in the sight of God because of Christ Jesus. You know, this gives you confidence when you go to God in prayers. This gives you confidence when you resist the devil. Because you know that you are right in the sight of God. Thank God for Jesus. Let's rise on our feet and just, why don't you thank God for Jesus?